everybody and welcome to episode 84 of the Sunny 16 podcast. This is our first sort of proper podcast of the new year after all the fun and excitement of the Sunnies last year. Last year? Last week. Um, it's quite nice actually to settle down and, you know, hopefully have a more sensible conversation because it was it was a lot of fun doing it last week, but God, <laughs> it was all a bit mad. Um, joining me this week is the ever wonderful and hopefully not quite as poorly as she was last week, Rachel. Rachel, how are you? Hi Graham. Yes, I'm here. Hooray. Um, my voice is nearly back to normal um, and I have my thumb hovering near the mute button for when I get the, the coughing attacks that seem to just suddenly appear. Um, <clears throat> hold on. <clears throat> <laughs> and there we go. Instant evidence of these coughing attacks. Um, Aid not with us this week because he is off uh, travelling the globe again. Uh, I think he's actually heading to, to uh, North Carolina, I think. This week, um, some far-flung place. We asked him to bring OMGs back, um, which I realise is perhaps a bit optimistic because they're a Canadian-only suite. But, you know, I mean, you've got to give the guy a challenge. But luckily, we are joined by two very awesome people to make up for that AIDS-shaped hole. Um, from the new box camera or the boxes back, as the internet uh, website would have it, we have Andre Dominguez and Robert Ham. Um, guys, thank you so much for finding the time to join us. Thank you for Absolutely. having Thank us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Um, so, um, listeners who check out the Analog Talk podcast may have heard Andre on there fairly recently because you did an interview with them uh, back you know, not long before Christmas. Is that right, Andre? That's correct. So you've gone to talked quite a lot about what you do on there. So um, definitely a great place to go if you want to do more of a deep dive into Andre Land. Um, but this is certainly the first <laughs> time. Um, well, uh, well, actually, we're going to um, just briefly then, Andre, because um, like I said people can go and listen back to that. Give us a bit of your background because you are one of those awful, awful young people who are getting out there and achieving stuff, which really upsets me. So um, you know, <laughs> keep, keep it brief so I can keep my blood pressure down. <laughs> Will do, Graham. Thank you so much for that little intro. Uh, my name is Andre Dominguez. I am a business administration student at the University of North Carolina, so I do hope that aid is still there when I travel back uh, in a couple of days. Uh, I'm originally from Brazil, uh, started shooting film about four years ago now, and then I uh, just met uh, Rob a few months ago over YouTube just based on a comment and my love for film photography, you know, meshed well with his, and a few months later, here we are. That's wonderful. Great stuff. Uh, so, Rob, you know, you are yes. the man that is driving this new thing, which we're going to get into. I keep alluding to it, but we're going to get into it real big. But what is your background? Because you're not exclusively really a film shooter, particularly. Your, your, your background is quite different from um, Andre. So what do you do? Well, a little bit of a sob story, but uh, my, when my father passed away back in 2012, just a little bit before, I decided to leave the corporate world and do what I had always loved. I had uh, raised my kids with my wife and shoot weddings. You know, it was something I was always good at in the army. And that was uh, just to kind of bring the family closer. And that turned into a business that uh, took me up and down the East Coast with uh, a lot of acclaim from, uh, you know, just, just photographing in really unique wedding locations from Corolla, North Carolina, really specializing in beach photography, even up in uh, you know, Hatteras in Maine and different places like that. Just lots of fun. And then I kind of got uh, to a point where I was very satisfied with it and I wanted more. And that more came in the, the form of instant photography. So I started shooting Instax film and really making, you know, videos and talking about how to get the best out of Instax film. And uh, that turned into being picked up for 
some sponsorship by Mint Camera. Gary Ho over there really liked the work I was doing, and we talk about the TL70 quite often. And this whole film thing really kind of started out of that. I started fixing old Olympus 35 and OMG cameras, like you say, little rangefinders and some SLRs, but mainly by Olympus, because I wanted to shoot something really unique. And that has turned into what we have today, and I'm really excited about it. So yeah, cause, I mean, actually, I think that was the first time that I was introduced to what you were doing was when Aid, when he was going through, um, well, I mean, I think Aid's always going through trials and tribulations with his Instax relationship, but <laughs> he'd been watching some of your videos to try and understand how to get the best. That's flattering. From his Instax mini film, because um, he's got, I think, is the um, Fuji Instax Neo or something like that, and he really wasn't getting on with it, and he, he watched some of your videos, and it kind of it helped him get back on track and I was actually watching some of yours today um, with the Mint TLR in it and uh, yeah you certainly do make a good case for those cameras they are quite tempting if only they weren't also quite expensive my pocketbook won't reach quite that far but um, yeah great videos and um, it looks it looks really nice and sunny where you live but apparently not right now <laughs> no I just took some pictures prior to this uh, podcast I was out with my children making snowmen and everything and I thought what a great opportunity uh, the temperature was roughly 15 degrees outside here. So I was like, what a great opportunity to shoot some Instax film. You know, it's it's way below the threshold, but let's just see what happens. So uh, the TL70 did a wonderful job for me with the neutral density filters and everything else. We just had some great stuff. I'll put that on my Instagram for uh, Mint later today, actually. So that's pretty cool. Awesome stuff. So you've not got the the real background in film you you come to you're shooting your weddings i'm assuming you're shooting all of that on digital and you've got this love for instant film which is a you know big departure from the wedding film but also not i suppose there are you know the, the mint camera more so than any of those but it's not also that close to um i suppose the more broad analog photography so how on earth do you get to the point in your life where you go you know what i want to do I want to build a new box camera. This seems like a good idea. I want to take this camera, which has ostensibly been dead since, well, let's say the very latest, the 1960s, um, and do it again. Why? (laughs) Uh, Well, forgive me just for uh, taking it back. Uh, It has to do with family. That's really what it comes down for me. And then through this process, I've kind of realized what I think my purpose with Ham Camera Company is through the help of Andre and George Ham, that's my uncle, it's a graphic designer, architect. Uh, we've really, we've kind of narrowed down what we're trying to do. So I'll posit that first and just say, with the new box one, we're creating reference hardware right now for a new innovative film photographer. And we're doing that with a box camera. Now what started it really was my grandmother's house about uh, just one year ago, coming up in February, we'll be right at one year, uh, we were going through some old films and those old negatives, and I didn't have a scanner or anything right then. Not with me. It was at the house in Virginia Beach. Grandmother's in North Carolina, by the way, where Aid is and Andre is. What a great place, North Carolina. And she handed me this old 127 uh, Agfa camera, and I'm looking at it, and I look down immediately through the viewfinder, and I see my grandmother in that ground glass reverse picture viewfinder, and she says to me, you know, my mother used this camera to take pictures of my father and I. There's a roll of film in there. And it hit my heart so strong, mainly because, you know, I, I have a real strong relationship with family. You know, I haven't, you know, I, I left the corporate world in order to uh, bring my family a little bit closer and be closer to them in our time of need with photography being the vehicle that got me through it. And just so that you know, 
Um, I grew up in the photography studio in my high school, first colonial, uh, you know, Mr. Shaddy and those guys were the ones that taught me photography when I was younger on the developers and things like that. But when I got into the army, uh, which is what I did right after high school, I was always the guy in the unit that had a camera. So from an early age, I, I've had photography uh, film, but then very, very quickly I transferred to digital because of the expense back in 2000 and, uh, 2003, 2004. So I've always been that guy photographing. I was always that guy. So when it did come time to start something new, photography was a great place because it had several years of experience behind me. But looking through that viewfinder, that's what did it. I looked, I saw that on that roll of film undeveloped that there were pictures of my family that were probably lost forever just because of the age of it. But I realized that's how people chronicled their history and I wanted to do it. It was in that moment back in February, just last year, that I thought to myself, this is it. This is how we'll do it. And I can build this. I can make this better. And that's what I did. So I suppose it's a good time now to explain, because we haven't really made it clear, what you are currently working on and, and you're about to, I mean, you've been working on this for the last year and you're about to take it to Kickstarter is, as I said, it is building a new box camera um, and box cameras for anybody who is not familiar with them. They are pretty much the most basic um, kind of camera that you could get. They sort of started with the original box brownie, which was the first camera which brought photography to the masses um, and they kept going for uh, a, a good long time, far longer than you'd really think about. Um, and um, what you're doing now with Andre and with, um, sorry, remind me again of your... Um, George. Uncle, uh, George, thank you. George. George. Mm -hmm. um, it is bringing this uh, form bang up to date that's that's your ambition that's the plan and, and that's what you've been working on for the last year um andre i want to ask you because you're um you're at university i know that you get very involved with encouraging people in the um in photography you know you you're doing or you're out shooting with all sorts of different cameras you're very engaged with um the community uh, you know film is flowing thick through your veins um when Rob said to you, because uh, you know, it sounds like you got chatting about um, probably other things beforehand, but when Rob said, look, I'm thinking of building a new box camera, what was your first thought on that? Because you know, you've, you've experienced a lot of different kinds of photography. Did you listen to him and go, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> or, or, no, no, absolutely not. So my, my first impression was uh, at first I had to kind of, you know, you know, say, wait for a second, like, what What exactly is a box camera again? I knew of the of their brownie uh, just from, you know, reading old books about cameras, but I had to refresh my memory on, on what it was to begin with. And then when I found out the, the story behind the cameras themselves, the story behind uh, why Rob was choosing to, to revive this camera from his own personal history, then I was hooked. Uh, and just the fact that uh, back in 2017, somebody uh, in addition to, to folks like you know, Intrepid and things like that, that somebody that I knew, uh, even tangentially, just on, on YouTube, was saying, you know, I want to build a, a new film camera for the modern film photographer, of which, you know, uh, I'm proud to say that, that I represent. I didn't shoot film, you know, quote unquote, back in the day. I got into film my, my freshman year of, of college, a couple months after I started shooting digital, uh, just because I... I enjoyed the look. I had a fantastic uh, 
photography store close by my university that still completely supports film photography. Big shout out to, to Southeastern Camera one more time. And um, it everything that Rob was saying about what he wanted to do with the camera uh, was catering exactly to you know people to young film photographers that uh, wanted a way to get into it uh, with something simple. Uh, by that time, I, I wasn't necessarily using point-and-shoots as my main kind of go-to camera, but I was super excited. As soon as he started, you know, teasing a few details, I said to him, you know, I don't care how, I don't care in what capacity, but, uh, you know, in whatever way that I can help, just let, let me know if it's uh, just giving, you know, my experiences on using box cameras. I went out to my, my local store and I bought, you know, two or three of them just to see uh, how they worked. I, you know, asked for Rob's tips on, you know, tearing them apart and, and cleaning the lens and removing the lens, flipping the lens in my Hawkeye brownie, just experimenting as much as I could and offering my help to Rob in, in whatever way I could. And uh, I, I never would have thought that a few months later I'd be I'd be working, you know, both for and with him as a as a partner. That's really interesting because, as you said, the the, um, the target does it does seem to be a lot of um, a very similar lines to something like the Holger because this is going to be something which offers a simple entry point for people to get into not just photography but medium format photography um, because they are such simple cameras. Um, uh, Rob, first question, because yes. Rachel's, Rachel's typed the thing. Uh, did you ever manage to develop that film from your um, grandparents' camera? Well, not yet. Not, so, not so, yet. Oh, yeah. poor shit. So as, as you say, Jeremy, we, yeah, we laugh a little bit. But, you know, the, the film in there by my grandmother's dating is probably 70 years old, 60 years old. And so it comes down to whether or not um, I'm talented enough to develop such an old film. And I don't believe that I am uh, just because, you know, like we say, my line of work, my history isn't necessarily with film. I think that requires a bit of a professional uh, in that particular instance, developing a role of um, acros here at the house and a dev tank, Peterson tank or something like that. Even use a, you know, a C41 kit from the FPP. Hey, that's easy. No problem. But those are modern films, modern emulsions. So there's there's a little bit of an essence of this being a time capsule that when the right person comes along, when I'm contacted by that person, we'll work together to get that developed. I'd love to see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's uh, there's some fun to that. So no, so no. sorry, Jeremy, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, for one thing, Rob, I hate to break it to you. It's Graham, not Jeremy, but that's all right. I don't mind being called Jeremy for the purposes of this. <laughs> oh, did I really? You've been called lots of different what? things, haven't you, Graham? Yeah. I won't worry about it, Robert. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> oh, and also, man, Jeremy, sorry about that. That's all right. I called um, Bellamy Hunt Jeremy right out of the gate the other day. So we're all calling everybody <laughs> Jeremy. Um, so Hashtag who's Jeremy? <laughs> like you've already got Where's one you? hashtag. Knock it off you. Um, so, so your background's not in that kind of stuff. So, But what is it about your background that first off led you to start repairing and taking apart old cameras and now look at a box camera and go, well, I can make that? What is there in your history that's led to that point? So uh, I come from a family of architects and builders, you know, so putting things together and taking them apart is something I've done my whole life. Like my mm -hmm. son and I, we build little robots in the house all the time with Arduino boards. We're constantly coding different things. And uh, that's just something that I do. When I decided to shoot some film, uh, we're talking now three years ago, I started shooting, shooting film more regularly. It was because I wanted to do something and I wanted to add something to my wedding photography business that would was stand out. 
other than my beautiful portraits on digital, but I also wanted to offer, you know, like a black and white album. So I thought to myself, you know, what would I do? And when I got into that space, I really liked using the little rangefinder cameras because they were small, portable. I could throw them on my hip and they'd be very easy for me to carry around, but then offer really nice image quality with these five, six element lenses. You know, Olympus did a great job with their 35 series. So when that kind of spurred me, I got to thinking there's a lot of these cameras that I'm paying a whole lot of money to have fixed so that I can use them reliably. I'm like, good Lord, you know, got these selenium <laughs> cells that I got to fix. I got to fix the rangefinder, the coupling mechanism. And I just thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to keep spending $150, $200 on a full CLA with rebuilt parts. I'll just buy the cameras and fix them myself. So I started doing that, and I bricked, so to speak. I broke a lot of cameras. But now, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's heartening. That is heartening. But what I did learn how to do was fix the cameras. So now I've got a fleet of you know little eight little rangefinders that I use whenever I'm shooting a wedding. That I kind of um, give those negatives uh, to the uh, to the client because there's something very special. So I'll develop a few with digital printing. I'll scan them, but mainly the work is a it's a very digital workflow. I just wanted something a little bit more personal. And that's that's something as wedding photographer, you really have to differentiate yourself because anybody's going to go to Best Buy. I see it happen quite often. And uh, they'll go to Best Buy or they'll go to the camera shop and they'll buy a camera. And then on Craigslist or some other forum, you'll have a brand new photographer pop up shooting digital. And the the thing that happens there is I'm very happy that there's the entry to the market of wedding photography or photography in general isn't so high that no one can can break it. So I'm happy that we can have access to these cameras. But I also think that being a working wedding photographer isn't as much a title as it is a quality. So if you're gonna photograph somebody's wedding just because you have a $2,000 camera, doesn't necessarily make you qualified to do it. And the worst part is the customer doesn't always know. So for me, being able to show negatives, believe it or not, being able to show the connection to film filled a niche that allowed people to not only see my work that was great, right, and want to hire me, but also recognize that I had a different skill set, that it wasn't just a, a, photog a photographic digital workspace. And so that kind of led to all of this. That's where, that's where this came about. Then from there, I started shooting Instax at weddings. A big wedding in Kerala was a big deal. Um, so I was showing how you could use Instax photography uh, with uh, like things like the Mini 90. Um, in order to produce really nice Instax photo albums, but not just something superficial, something serious that someone would want. And here we are today. Cool. Okay. So let's talk about the camera in more detail. Um, there have been a few camera launches. Andre, you mentioned um, you know recently about the fact that like Intrepid have brought cameras to market, um, and there have been a few big you know, um, uh, the. Um, just before Christmas, we were chatting about the um, Chroma camera, which is going to be coming to market soon. So there's been a lot of cameras at the large form, not a lot, but there's been a few cameras at the large form, and we've seen some SLRs getting kickstarted over the last end of last year. Um, and what you guys are looking at is bringing something at the other end of that. Um, I, but one of the things that was said when particularly with the slrs launching um the reflex and the ihagi elbaflex um was why should we buy one of these cameras why should we kickstart one of these cameras when there are millions of film slrs out there that i can pick up for not very much money um and with box cameras 
maybe not quite as many of them because, you know, they're getting old in years now. But nonetheless, there are a lot of box cameras around as well and they can be picked up pretty cheap. So why why is the new box camera going to be something worth somebody picking up over and above just finding some old box brownie, a Hawkeye um, in a charity shop, a thrift store? So, That's a great question. You might yeah, have to hit this, Rob? No, I don't mind so, at all. So in the past few months, I've picked up about five or six box cameras You know, uh, from a variety of different manufacturers. I've got some old Agfa ones, uh, some Kodak brownies, and uh, I'm not sure if you know this, Rob, but I've managed to, as you mentioned, break or or you know destroy a couple of them by messing around with the with the shutters, trying to figure out how they work. Um, I can't exactly call up Kodak and say, "Hi, I need a a, sh- a new shutter for my number two brownie from 1934." So yes, while you can, you know, go back and and buy old box cameras that'll most of the time work fantastic. A lot of them shoot six by nine like the new box does, and the image quality is fantastic. But the reality is that um, there just isn't the the possibility of, of, for most people, servicing them and repairing them. And most of the times it's not even worth it. Uh, you know, picking up, picking one up at a charity shop for, for five pounds, you're probably going to, you know, have to send it to somewhere specialized that does only box cameras and end up spending 20, 25 pounds to, to repair the thing. So the possibility of us, you know, producing one in 2018 is that with our, you know, full lifetime warranty is that you have the peace of mind that you have have a camera that we're going to be supporting for as long as you're going to shoot it. And um, Rob, I, I've seen some of the posts you've been putting that um, you're not just trying to emulate what was done with box cameras that you are because I mean one of the most noticeable things about the old box cameras and and I have to, I, I quite like the contrast but because a lot of your work and what's really noticeable about your wedding photography is you love bright colorful work you you your stuff Absolutely. is really vibrant um and you know a lot of the instax stuff as well it's it's real punchy colors and of course one of the hallmarks of using a box camera and these old single meniscus lenses these very simple lenses um uncoated is that they you know they are um much flatter much less contrasty um and you know they they were never made for ultimate image quantity quantity um (laughs) what you've talked about making improvements to the designs of these what have you been looking to do what changes uh, are you making to these box cameras that people are going to notice well what a great question i love this question and to pick up with what andre has has said already the, the idea is to have something that's modern for today's film and emulsions. You know, that's, that's a very big part. So the first thing is manufacturing lenses is completely different today, although a similar process, you know, so, uh, silica, sand, magnesium, things like that that go into the lens. Uh, there's been purities and, and changes in the production process that allow mass production of lenses that are of a higher quality today than what they may have been previously, uh, just for um, you know, industrialization and innovation in those separate fields. The other thing that comes into play is not only do we have a new lens, we have new coatings, right? So we can use coatings on these lenses, which we do. We have sourced optical grade anti-reflective coatings for these lenses, which give them, as you can see in some of the uh, images that I've posted over on hamcamera.com, a very contrasty look, uh, which is a look that I like. It doesn't necessarily have to be a lot of 
your contrast that'll come into an image definitely comes from the shooting situation. So the first part is new process and lens design allows us to take these uh, older concepts, the inspiration for a box camera, apply new lenses to it and actually get a more modernized mm -hmm. effect. So the very first part is just a good lens. Second part is we have to think about how the camera is going to be used. Originally, the box camera design still works today, even from over 100 years ago. What keeps it working is the simplicity of a single throw, single position switch like the shutter. And that means that even cameras that may have started out with a shutter speed of 1 60th or 1 80th or 1 100th of a second generally are retaining at least half, if not 75% of their original tension on the spring torque, that is, after almost 100 years. That's amazing. Don't mess with that design. But how can we innovate it? You see, 1 80th of a second isn't really a great spot for street photography. And I know 1 80th of a second won't catch my kids at the playground playing. And that's a problem because I'm a family photographer and that's what's driving all this. So engineering the design of that single throw, single position switch in order to accept a 1 200th of a second uh, shutter speed is an innovation that we're bringing to the box camera, specifically in the new box, because it allows us to be more versatile. That also means that we can use film speeds that are rated at higher uh, ISO ratings, more sensitive to light because we have a faster shutter, and that allows us to be able to use different apertures in order to help gate the types of depth of field that we're going to get. One last thing I'll say before the biggest part of the innovation that we brought is on aperture. Most people, and this is a question I've got a lot, is, Rob, how can we get a sharp in-focus image with a camera that has no focusing? And the answer is really simple. We're using zone focusing, right? But most people think of zone focusing um, much more different than how it's simple to actually use and how we do it, which is not just point and shoot. We want to design apertures that work in conjunction with the shutter block and the new films, the faster films, so that we can create areas where most people will be in focus like six feet to infinity. You know, So when we're at those particular apertures like F22, F32, when you get even closer, or F16, we're able to create a point-and-shoot perspective and, and feel like an ergonomic that allows us to have beautiful images rendered quickly with that fast shutter. But on the same scale, we can move it back. For the savvy photographer that is into uh, you know, what your near limit, far limit, and hyperfocal zone is, we can even use apertures like F8 on this camera at 6x9, which gives you a hyperfocal distance past 60 feet which means our shallow depth of field is between six feet and nine feet. We've got about three feet in between, and then that just completely obliterates the background. When you move down to something like 5.6 in a 6 by 9 camera, you're getting depth of field that is really shallow, and it takes a lot to set those shots up. But there is, there is that enjoyment in that limitation of knowing your film, but there's also that expertise that comes with it. So from point and shoot to uh, all the way down to your more savvy shots, we've got it. Uh, the last thing we got to say is we've got interchangeable lens cartridges. I was and so just the about design to ask about been... that, actually. The interchangeable yeah. lenses. Go ahead, um, Rachel. Go ahead. Yeah, it was, it was just to ask about the interchangeable lenses because I think that's that's one of the um, the, the main sort of um, selling points, I suppose, from, from what I've seen, uh, it, the, it being um, put out as the world's first interchangeable lens box camera. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the different focal lengths that there'll be and, um, and how they might be coming into production. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a, this is a really fun one as we continue because the box camera never had anything other than one focal length, which is relatively standard, maybe a little bit more on the telephoto end. 
Mm-hmm. So 50, 60, something like that, depending on the format, it was, it was that standard field of view. Yeah. What we've been able to offer just by designing, this is the important part, by designing the front of the camera, the front of the box, where the lens cartridge inserts for the stability uh, and also helps the film plane and everything line up, we've been able to create a cartridge with the lens in the cartridge design. And that's not necessarily new. What's so new when you is take, to, take the whole thing off um, and, then, and then replace the front of the camera, or is it some separate part that you attach to it? Sorry. Rachel, that's a great question. So the cartridge itself has the lens in the front of the cartridge. So okay. when you mm-hmm. load the film by pulling the cartridge out and begin winding and spooling the film onto your take-up from your supply, you could actually look at the front and actually see the front element of the lens right there. It's quite available. Mm. And the reason that's important is because since the lens can come out of the camera but be contained within the cartridge, we can maintain the proper focal distance from the rear element of the lens to the focal plane on the lens, on the film itself, excuse me. You know, so we can maintain that distance consistently mm. with the back of the box acting as the pressure plate that allows it to be nice and flat so it's not all wobbly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> so you can get a nice image, not all, not all out of focus. But because the lens comes out with the cartridge, that means that we can consistently control the distance from the rear element of the lens to the film itself, which means that we can change the lens. And just by over-engineering the front, meaning that we make the front of the camera large enough to accept the different lenses that we would like to put in our cartridges, we can change everything we need to change about the focal length of the lens to provide a different field of view. So we look to bring a telephoto, which will be right around 90 maybe mm-hmm. 100, but something about equivalent. If we're speaking in 35 millimeter equivalents, uh, we're, we're, our current lens, the standard lens is about 50, 55. Uh, it's more like 57.2, but who's counting? So we'll just call it standard, <laughs> right? Then mm-hmm. the telephoto lens, which is not launching at the same time the camera is, it will launch later, uh, is actually going to be closer to 90, a little bit more. And the wide angle, we're looking at between 28 or 32, somewhere in there for the wide angle. The nice part is, and I'll answer the question ahead of time, and I know I want Andre to pick up here after this because I know he's excited about it. The front plate of the camera, which has the lenses which focus the light onto the mirror for the viewfinders on the ground glass, has been designed such that when a cartridge is in place, you can take the front plate glasses off the lenses for the viewfinders and change it to the corresponding lenses that will give you the field of view required for the camera or for the lens that you're actually using the lens cartridge so when you switch your cartridge from your standard to your telephoto you also switch the lenses for the viewfinders from standard to telephoto and now the ground glass viewfinder does not require a whole bunch of grid lines or marking systems you just have essentially put on the glasses for it so that what you Mm -hmm. see in the viewfinder is what your camera is going to see on the film Nice, good. That that was exactly what I was about to ask you regarding that, actually. Mm. Um, so, um, actually, yeah, well, Andre, as you're dealing with a lot of the sort of getting out in the public outreach about this, now it seems to me like the probably the the most obvious competitor for this kind of camera um, is something like the Holger, um, or, or you know, or other similar camera which is of well i mean the holger has more limited functionality i mean this camera is going to offer a lot more than um than the holger can do but you know it's a similar kind of idea it's like here's a, an inexpensive plastic camera that you can get out and have fun with and also be creative with um 
But obviously, the Holger's got quite a big cult following for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> it eludes me slightly. Um, but, it's a good job uh, Aid's not on here today because yeah. he, he would be bigging up the holder, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, box cameras, I mean, yes, people use them, but they've never, there's not a big movement behind box cameras. Um, the, you know, there, there hasn't been yet anyway. What do you think there, it is about box cameras that people should, you know, what, what should appeal to people? What What's the thing about you shooting with this kind of format this setup that should make people particularly the kind of people who are likely to be listening to this people who are interested in interested in more creative photography what's the appeal of this over something that is already out there like the holger so there's definitely a reason why the the holger is popular i personally love my holger however when i want to you know even when i do want to be creative knowing that the framing isn't going to be exactly what i see in the viewfinder knowing that the the camera's construction itself, I'm probably going to have to gaffer tape the heck out of it. Um, <laughs> you can do, you know, so much more with uh, with our box camera than you can do with a Holga, like what Rob was saying. You know, I can go out and do street photography at one two hundredth of a second and get, you know, everybody, you know, crystal clear uh, in, in sharp focus without having motion blur, whereas I can't do that with my Holga. Uh, the experience that a lot of people have the first time that they shoot with a camera uh, like a TLR or anything that has that waist level viewfinder, even if the viewfinders themselves are, are smaller than something like your, your typical TLR, is just such a creative way of learning how to compose differently uh, that I think it's going to open up a bunch of possibilities for people that want that same amount of kind of quick point and shoot uh focus just on the composition and the artistry that the Holga has with a lot more consistency uh, in that you'll you'll trust that, you know, you know what your shutter speed is. Uh, my Holga has, the Holgas that I've owned previously have been anything from, you know, one thirtieth of a second all the way, you know, up to one one hundredth of a second and everywhere in between. So it's, it's the ability for you to have the same amount of creative freedom not think about it as much as you don't want to think about it or put as much thought into setting up a shot as you want um, that puts the new box over the Holga in a lot of regards. Cool. Now, you, you mentioned one thing there with regards to the Holga. It's the fact that the build quality is, well, it's Holga. So, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that word is synonymous with crap. So, I mean, I don't we need to go any further. Um, the original box cameras were mostly made out of uh, you know, Bakelite or metal, um, which is why they have stood the test of time. Um, the new box is um, almost entirely plastic um, from what I can see. How durable are these things going to be? Are they going to cope with the kind of rough and tumble world that the original box cameras were built to endure? Are we still going to be... <laughs> shooting with, i mean and i realize this is probably asking quite a lot but you know there are box cameras around that are cracking on for over 100 years old at this point is the new box <laughs> going to see out 100 years it's okay if you yes. say no yes <laughs> it's got a half well, Ron, why don't why don't you talk about i the, love this the 3d printing process mm -hmm. I, I, okay so 
I'm really glad that you guys uh, uh, have have brought this question up. These are the good ones, and for whatever reason, my uh, my brain does not allow me to say your name correctly right now. So I apologize for that. You can call me Bob if you like. You can call me Billy Bacon. You know, that's Robert <laughs> Bacon. I'm okay with that. Maybe this uh, is just a show for pseudonyms. Everybody has a different name for for one episode or something. I love it. <laughs> well, let me let me address that question with you. So the thing that really blew my mind was that the box cameras work. They still work today. 80, 100 years later, they still work. Even if, even if you know that your shutter speed has lost even 50% of its torque, you can work with that as long as it's consistent. Most, especially the single throw, single position switches, are still uh, very reliable, even if they've lost some torque. That was really eye-opening for me. So the number one posit for this is that it's got to move forward and it's got to stand the test of time. Now, I can't we don't have a 100-year-old box camera. Maybe in 100 years, we'll do the podcast again, and we'll say, yeah, the new box one, still cracking. But mm -hmm. the idea from a design perspective was to use materials in order for that to happen. So we've put into the process as much thought as we can to how it should be. Now, part of this is to also use a print process that can be maintained internally. I don't want a, um, a injection-molded plastic shell with with not that anything is wrong with that, I'm happy the companies do whatever they do, but I wanted to be able to maintain and manage the production directly. And by such, we have decided to go with 3D printing. 3D printing allows us options with materials that can be extraordinarily durable, yet extraordinarily eco-friendly, and everything in between. For example, I was, uh, all of the prototype uh, new box cameras have been made with uh, PLA, which is not really great. It's not very durable, but it's great for quick prototyping. That's what has allowed this to advance so quickly, but it also means that uh, there are limitations in what the material can withstand from the environment, such as, you know, beats, bangs, crushes, heat, standing inside. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I can't tell you out of the PLA, which will not be, I want to stress, PLA will not be used in the production models, but during the prototyping, I'd go to begin refining the uh, the actual finishing process and leave leave the PLA out to, to dry after sanding and priming and painting and different things. I come back and it'd be all, it'll be all melted, you know, because <laughs> right. You know, so those were some of the things that we knew right off the bat. But once again, just to stress, that's not the case with the final product. What we're going to do with the product is use a hybrid system of very strong um, PETG as well as ABS poly uh, filaments and things for the housing of the camera while we're going to use SLA printing, which is stereolithography printing, basically uh, shining a laser into um, a resin in order to create a, uh, a, a, a physical object, in order to do that for the durable and moving parts. And the reason is quite simple. Uh, we want the shutters to be able to work uh, over time very consistently and reliably, and we want to be able to maintain as many of the parts printed and, and inspected as possible. Also, this allows us to guarantee our uh, lifetime warranty with it because it's something that we can maintain and manage in-house directly, which obviously when you offer something like a lifetime guarantee, um, that is a loss leader project where we're going to be covering the cost of the loss in case something were to happen. So being able to maintain control of that allows us to be able to offer it very confidently uh, as we move forward. All in all, this print method, this production method, does two things. It allows for the prototype phase to move forward so we can bring it to market quickly. It allows for us to maintain this in-house instead of having to have an inorganic part of the company actually drive the production process and then just us inspect it afterwards. That doesn't work for me because I'm too busy to be in the middle of it. 
And finally, it means that we can also inspire this reference hardware within the Make community. That's where the other part of this goes. By building this and doing it ourselves, we then become a leader in the 3D print revolution, which is becoming very popular right now. And we can bring new people into film photography that may not have ever thought about coming over here by allowing these models uh, and a, a place to be fostered as well as developed through things like workshops, through things like competitions, through things like the uh, the New Box One little black box edition as far as finishing and stuff like that people can do. It just helps drive the community. So we're excited about that. We hope that we, we expect that it'll last for a while. So that's obviously talking about the, the camera body itself uh, and the internal moving parts and what have you. In terms of the lens, is that also something you're going to be, or the lenses, um, is that something you'll also be doing in-house? No, 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 no. So that's one great thing. Now, we've partnered with a couple of nice sourcing labs, things like Thor and, and other places, definitely in the Americas and some globally, uh, that allow us to source very high quality made lens lenses from optic companies. Uh, that's not, I do not want, uh, let me rephrase, that's a great question. No plastic lenses, period. <laughs> this isn't <Okay>. plastic, <laughs> not PPX, not a plastic lens. It's mm -hmm. a solid glass lens currently for our standard model. Uh, or for our standard cartridge, we're using a 24 or 23 and a one quarter millimeter in diameter, 95 millimeter focal length lens, which puts our actual natural aperture of the lens right around a four point something with an effective aperture for our use at the widest of 5.6. And it allows us to use a coated lens and it allows us to use a lens that has um, additional uh, actual um, foundry characteristics, uh, such as things like uh, metals that might be in the lens that help it maintain an optical clarity over time that don't react with the coatings. And so that's great. That's one thing you want to see. And that's, that's something that we're really excited about bringing mm -hmm. people. People don't remember that because uh, it's a hundred years, but box cameras did a great job of photographing a generation. Mm -hmm. And then they got forgotten because technology went past, but now it's time for them to come back and help introduce a whole new generation to not only film photography, but simple point and shoot photography as well. Mm. I have to say, it's really heartening. And as I said, we were talking to Steve from Chroma um, back before Christmas about um, that the 4x5 camera he's working on. And he's been doing, just as you have, a lot of work prototyping. And, um, and it's great to see all of this effort going into the prototyping before the Kickstarter mm -hmm. launches. Um, let's talk a bit about the Kickstarter. Um, you, you're very lucky because the tail end of last year, you got to see a lot of analog photography <laughs> Kickstarters happen <laughs> and how all that panned out for all the different companies. How are you feeling <laughs> going into a Kickstarter process at the moment? I'll let Andre handle that one. This is, <laughs> I feel great. I'll, I'll pick up talking points afterwards, but I think Andre's could really summarize it. We've talked about this a lot. So uh, one of the things that that you know I reflected on at the end of this at this previous year is that you know price price definitely matters to people when they think about these film photography related kickstarters. Um, I was super supportive of you know everything that came out last year on all the crowdfunding platforms. I didn't myself back everything, uh, and you know part of that was because of price. I would have loved to have backed something like the the reflex uh, SLR, the, the elbow flex. The reality is that, you know, even though, you know, M will, will likely, you know, be, <laughs> be, be kicking me online later saying that like, oh, you know, shut up and just support it. Uh, <laughs> and, and I appreciate and love him for that sentiment. 
However, the reality is that a lot of people that are, you know, just getting into film photography for the first time don't realize that the all the, the work that goes into putting these projects together oftentimes does mean that they tend to be expensive. It's no surprise that, you know, Bellamy's been pretty honest uh, over at Japan Camera Hunter that his premium uh, point-and-shoot premium compact camera that's going to come out in hopefully not too long, maybe a couple of years, uh, is going to be expensive, you know? And the great thing about uh, the new box is that our base model is starting off at $79.99. And so when you put that in comparison to a lot of the other cameras that, that came out last year, that puts it in a whole different ball league in terms of of availability to people that are getting into it the first time it's much more you know easy and realistic to ask somebody oh would you like to try film for you know for the first time here's a point and shoot camera that costs only eighty dollars there's a reason why the hold is so popular going back to that is because it's relatively cheap to get into uh whereas something like you know paying several hundreds of dollars for an slr which you'll you can get similar results with uh with you know quote-unquote vintage cameras uh that's going to be a bargain that's pretty hard to to drive with with some people whereas you know it's hard to argue with an 80 dollars six by nine medium format camera that's a very fair point um you've got a few images that are taken with i mean there's, there's lots of good pictures of the cameras the pre-production models um on instagram and on the website um ham camera com, um and there's a few pictures on there um taken with the camera but I, i'm not finding a great deal of them at the moment um i know that you've got it planned i don't know whether it's already started happening um to get the camera out in the hands of um i don't know i suppose testers is probably as good a word as any people out there to shoot because i mean personally speaking the one thing i I really loved about what silbera were doing during their campaign was getting the stuff in the hands of people so you can actually see the results see what what's this thing because i mean it's you can look at you know, it's, it's a very lovely looking plastic box <laughs> but at the end of the day still a plastic I box. love that lovely plastic box <laughs> it's a, um, I, bet you, I would imagine you're getting slightly sick of the sight of it by this point um, <laughs> but but you know you want to, I suppose particularly again people who are likely to be listening to this people who are who want to know what the creative possibilities what's it going to do what is you know what is the out of focus area going to look like what's the depth of field like what's the sharpness like um, are we? Are, are you going to get it out in the hands of people to shoot, to play with, to frankly break if need be, um, to get these Absolutely. images and get stuff on there so that we can see this sort of before or during the Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. So what a poignant question. I love this one too. This is great because it gets at the nitty gritty of what's happening. Let's let's go and break it straight down. The production, the the uh, the prototyping production in the house. I'm making all these in my own home. I've got children and things like that. Uh, and well, so I'm making have these cameras, Rob, because that's not okay. <laughs> well, I didn't hear what you say. What I you said you got you got children making these cameras. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. And no, I've got my uh, my eight year old here is in a sweatshop. <laughs> oh, <well>. <laughs> <laughs> He's just bad. working hard. No, no, no. I mean, he gets free rent, right? He, I feed him, <laughs> don't I? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, my point is that I'm very conscious that uh, you know my work day as a photographer. Just let's put this into perspective. I homeschool my younger, uh, my my middle son Robert. Actually, he's my oldest son, but he's our middle kid. Ira goes to public school. 
Um, I homeschool Robert, and then uh, I work on my photography projects, and I have a wife that comes home that we need to make dinner for. So my day, uh, my my work day is when everybody else is sleeping. Let's let's just call it what it is. And so my print time mm-hmm. is when I print is in the house in an enclosed environment with some ventilation, but I also have to be cognizant of the type of materials that I'm using. So that limits me to PLA so that I have no toxic uh, issues with the kids. You know, plastic can be pretty harmful to you. PLA luckily is is not. It's an organic resin out of corn, basically, and it works well. Nobody's getting hurt. Problem is durability, and that's exactly what we experienced uh, when we were designing the shutter. The one problem that I did have was um, with Andre's advice, thinking about how people were going to use these cameras was moving from a fiftieth or sixtieth of a second to one two hundredth of a second. That creates different torques mm. on the shutter, and so that meant that the material I was using with the torsion springs I was using in order to make this work, although the design worked fine, they were breaking. <laughs> so we did stop our uh, we did stop our our developer preview for that exact reason. I can't send a prototype camera out to someone to use with that issue, and I just couldn't. I couldn't send it out, even if the boxes were going to be fine. It just didn't seem that that's just didn't seem right for me. So I contacted the people that are part of our developer preview. Um, Chris Gampat's one of them. Gary Ho's another one. Uh, even talked a little bit with Mr. Bias over there at Film Ferrania. We're not quite sure about uh, what's going to go on there with him, but a lovely man. I like him a lot. Real good guy. And so we were, I'm talking with people that are kings within the industry that are very well known that are a part of this. And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to have about a 120-day window once the Kickstarter is backed and funded to where we will begin to ship units uh, to the first backers for the Kickstarter. The ones that uh, prior to that, once we get funded, that will allow us to actually set up the SLA print process from Form Labs so that I can get this thing and start kicking it out. We're going to get five form printers, set it up, and, and move right along so that we can begin producing the wearable pieces that are be durable enough to accept all of these things. And I've actually had quite a bit. I've got to say, man, those guys over at Form Labs are awesome. I have had quite a bit of uh, engineering help and things like that through talking with them about their different resins and plastics. We got this thing worked out real nice so that we're going to have exactly what we need, including different kinds of resin to print using one process that can make integrated parts for the shutter so that it does function correctly over time. And so that's what happened. So to answer your question, yes, people will get them, but um, it won't happen during the funding of the Kickstarter. It will happen once the Kickstarter is funded. That's when I'll set up the production line and then print the uh, the units for the developer preview for them to get see test and and then continue on. Got you. And just remind us when that's going to be happening again. Yeah, sure. So we're looking at January fifteenth to the twentieth for the Kickstarter to launch. And we're looking at probably if it launches and goes through uh, February 15th, then we're looking at having them in the hands of our developer preview by uh, March, end of March, mid-March, in March. Awesome. And and what we think is your, um, and, and I realize this is, you know, when a product's not been completed yet, it's always hard to say, but when are you hoping that they will get to the first backers by? So we're looking for about four months uh, after the funding, so February, March, April, May. We're looking at June, end mm-hmm. of June, sometime beginning of July. That's when we'll start shipping. Here is the great news. Um, although only several images have actually been put up, I've got seven images that were available to the photographer. Um, if you go check out his article that he wrote about me, he chose two separate images, and he chose the ones that he just thought had a beautiful characteristic. And they do show some really interesting things. At all of these, you can kind of see what the aperture is doing. Most of them were 
uh, were wide aperture and some smaller aperture just to show you the depth of field. In fact, the photographer actually posted one where I was taking a picture of a guy kicking a soccer ball or playing football. He was doing a jump spin kick. And that happened to be while I was out on the beach and the, the shutter broke. Luckily, it broke in the closed position. So you see him. And <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really neat. And there have been an overwhelmingly positive uh, response to that, even in, even in the not perfect aspect of it. There's still a general charm to it that people have enjoyed. So answer the question. Uh, once it all gets set up and moving, we'll begin shipping the retail units to the first backers uh, by June, end of June timeframe. And we're excited. And the nice part is the design is already in place. So I recognize that it might sometimes be a bit of a leap of faith or, or people may be skeptical, but I've taken pictures with the camera, passes the ground glass test, the design is solid. What I need are the, uh, the parts that are more durable that I, uh, quite frankly, I just won't be able to fund all. I mean, you buy a bunch of form printers at three grand a pop. <laughs> you know, we've spent a lot of minute, a lot of money developing this already aside from just you know, doing everything. So it's, it's, I think that we're at the good stage to move forward. I mean, what are your thoughts, guys? So, well, you, you're about a week out, aren't you, of, uh, before you're about to launch it, really, a week or two. Um, what are the sort of last minute, have you had any last minute challenges or sudden, oh my God, we've got about this or, or has it all been quite smooth sailing so far? Luckily, I've had Andre checking me the whole mm-hmm. way. So th- this guy over here, Andre, has been an absolute um, I would say godsend, man. It's, it's really great that two like-minded people can get together because George uh, has been great with uh, like the industrial design, the kind of uh, a little bit of the deco shaping. He's been doing everything from the logo. He's been setting up all the media so that it looks right. We're working on the, the owner's manual and the book for it so that it comes with everything it needs to. Uh, but that's a completely separate process. And so having this guy like Andre over here to say, Rob, what about this? It's always, hey, this is what I'm thinking has really helped the project move forward. It's been a, a really big help. So the good ideas I may have had have been augmented because of his input. And, uh, and that's really important. Last minute stuff with the camera, Mm-mm. because we're at a spot where we're ready to, to manufacture them. We need mm-hmm. the production line. Uh, right. We're at a spot where things are good. What has happened is we have brainstormed other models. Andre, why don't you talk about some of that? Because I think that uh, you're uh, very instrumental in this. Well, first of all, Rob, thank you so much for that glowing commendation. Uh, it's been it's been you know such a, a a fun time just you know picking your brain about things and as sort of the the person that's been uh, spending most of my time out in the community talking to people you know trying to get them to ask those hard questions. That's what I pass on to you is all the the little you know uh, nitpicky uh, you know critical and. Uh, skeptical questions that I get, you know, I, I try to put myself in their shoes and, and see if we can figure out a way to, to solve them. So, you know, thank you for letting me do that. Um, uh, thank you. In terms of the, the different designs, that's actually one of the questions that, that I do happen to, to get a lot uh, of from people in the community saying that, oh, you know, like medium format's great, but for a lot of people that don't have the ability to, you know, develop at home, you know, most mini labs and drugstores in the U.S. at least, won't do medium format. They're, for the most part, restricted in these days to 35 millimeter color. They can't even do black and white. So I've had a lot of questions from people in the community saying, you know, it's great that you guys are doing medium format. The image quality is going to be fantastic. That's awesome. But what about uh, being able to shoot 35 millimeter because that'll make it even more accessible? And I completely agree. And so what we've been uh, trying to focus on is coming up with two more designs, one that shoots 35 millimeter film, 
and another one that'll shoot Instax Mini. Rob is obviously, you know, one of the, <laughs> I like to say the, the godfathers of Instax education. And so the, the, the fact that we're going to be producing an Instax Mini model should come as no surprise. But I personally am really, really excited for the 35 millimeter version. Yes, you can use one of those uh, 3D printed uh, 35 millimeter cartridge to 120 adapters. You just you know pop on each end of the the 35 millimeter cartridge to be able to use it in something like that a box camera. However, we also have the ability to just shrink down the design by about 30 40 percent, make it a, a smaller, more compact box camera that'll shoot in 35 millimeter film, which is really exciting. Yeah, I like that. That's very cool. I mean, you were saying before about the fact that the cartridge swaps out. Um, you know, and it's got the lens in and everything. I mean, is there the possibility that that will be that you'll be able to have just like a modular thing so you can have the one box and you can slam in a 35 millimeter back or an instax back or whatever and just have the one body that this works with or is at the moment looking like you're going to need to have separately designed bodies for each one okay so yes with an adapter you could use a 35 millimeter cartridge like andre was talking about the modules the cartridges themselves the lens cartridges are made to be swappable within the same system so when we think about the 120, it would stay a 120 format. The 35 millimeter format would actually be a smaller format with a smaller cartridge. And the biggest thing that you're going to find the difference in why you can't just use one cartridge into the other is because of how you would be counting your film. Of course, you could put the 35 millimeter cartridge into the, uh, the new box, the 120 sized box, and then use it we can make the connections for winding the same but you would have very little indication as to how many films you have or shots and what shot you are on and that's because currently the easiest to design for was actually the uh, the 120 format mm -hmm. mainly because on the back of the paper there's the number i can put a window on the back of the camera so that we can see where we're at it's very easy to know which image frame you're on it's not so with instax film it's definitely not so with uh, 35 millimeter film. And a, a quick fun point to know is that the original uh, format that was requested when I started talking about this on my YouTube channel and asking what people wanted uh, was actually instant. It was Instax. And I was very tempted to maneuver forward with Instax. It's just the uh, infrastructure to produce for Instax is, was just way out of the capability. We needed to do something that was simple and had a lot of design choices already made so that we could innovate to make it better. And it started with the 120 for those reasons. Well, it's it's really good to hear that there's more stuff going forward with this. I, although I do have to ask, Rob, I mean, um, sure. how are your friends over at Mint uh, with the idea of you making a fairly flexible, nice box camera that shoots instant? I mean, are they not going, hang on a second, look, you know, this is our gig you're <laughs> honing in on here. What's this all about? So, you know, people ask that question. Uh, the photographer, Chris, over there, he was, he was interested in that as well. And what i got to tell you is that um, Gary... Tracy, Joe over at Mint Camera are absolute gems. They're, they're some of the most amazing people to work with because out of the blue, let's, let's face it, when I decided I was going to shoot a TL70 at one of the weddings uh, I wanted to do, I didn't want to spend almost $400 on something that, quite frankly, I was concerned wouldn't give me any better results than a Mini 90. And the Mini 90 was very frustrating to me. I had to, I mean, I went through thousands of films in order to get it nailed down. And it's still one of the, it's an art form as much as it is science because out shooting today uh, i really had to be on my p's and q's in order to get the results i did in the snow you know everything from a light meter and everything else 
So when I approached Mint, um, they recognized my work. They, rec- they, they saw me as a, a communication platform. They saw me as someone that had some ideas that I'd been making these videos. So they were very helpful. And I can only say that here. They have had no influence in any of the development for the new box in any of the iterations. However, they have agreed to be part of the, uh, the developer preview, which is just as, just as simple as me saying, hey, you know, Gary, uh, I've got this happening. I know you're excited about it. He's, he has ex- expressed how excited he is for this. And, you know, we've had that conversation. I talk with him maybe once a month, maybe once every three weeks, uh, a little bit less now because the camera's in production so much. But for months, we were you know, a couple times a week chit-chatting, especially with Tracy, those guys over there. And um, the offer to help, to offer to give me some thoughts on a new camera as it comes out uh, was extended and accepted by me. But that has not happened yet. So all of these things are my ideas based on uh, former designs and what I think works. It's based on my conversations with uh, people like Andre about what he thinks would be good in a good in a camera, and about what I would like, and then about what actually has worked and hasn't worked. And so, no, interestingly enough, they're not going. What are you doing, Rob? They're more like <laughs> we're really excited about this. In fact, I think that they're very excited. See if this camera successfully takes off. The idea of having a box camera that shoots instant film is extraordinarily exciting. And so I think that uh, there is some uh, opportunity there. I think there's some collaboration there. But that is purely speculation. That's just how I feel about it. Well, that's really cool. Um, Box cameras are a real fun thing to shoot. Um, I've got quite a few of them myself. And Mm -hmm. and there's certainly, and I know you have as well, Rach. um, (laughs) Actually, it's funny. We were talking about this and um, Andre sent me a message online saying um, he was was well up for uh, for me doing my six-month challenge you know our sunny 16 2018 what's our new challenge is going to be and mm. i said maybe a um you know maybe i shoot with a different box camera each month for six months or something like that and he, he said he was well up for that so um i have been thinking about that since and i actually it was a question for for both of you you chaps actually for andre and for for robert i wondered if you've got any suggestions any favorite box cameras that you've used in the past that you think i should obviously alongside the new box um that i should uh perhaps use for that challenge if I were to go ahead go ahead I am going to go ahead and throw my hat in favor of the uh, Kodak Target 620 Uh, from all the the boss cameras that I've used it's got the biggest brightest most clearest viewfinder I'm fairly very very sad that I managed to break the the reflex mirror inside one of them and haven't managed to fix it so I can only shoot in horizontal orientation (laughs) but I absolutely love that camera and with the the little uh, plastic 620 spools that the FPP sells over on the FPP online store, mm-hmm. it's really easy to re-spool it onto the 620 spools. The second one that I really enjoy is the uh, number two brownie, the one that I accidentally managed to break while cleaning. Um, <laughs> there seems to be a pattern here, Andre. I, I'm not lending yeah, you yeah. anything. <laughs> I've been using them and abusing them just to, to see, you know, what are the things that are most likely going to break? <laughs> But yeah, okay. those two are, are so those definitely my favorites. Fantastic. Thank you. Robert, how about yourself? Well, for me, I'm going to suggest the new box one of course. right off the bat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the, the camera, I, I really like the B2 Cadet, the AGFA. Uh, I think that's cool. And the reason I think that that's cool, it's got a double position shutter. Uh, and so you get an open and close 
and return to that closed position. It's always the same closed position. So um, it's just an interesting camera to shoot. Also, one thing that I like about uh, a box camera is you're going to need to clean the lens and you're going to need to clean the uh, the actual um, the viewfinders. And mm -hmm. so I found that Agfa has done an absolutely great job of making those things accessible to you. Whether the lens is in the camera or in the cartridge doesn't particularly matter. What does matter is taking the faceplate off is simple, as well as cleaning the actual mirrors are simple. What most people don't even realize is the minute that you clean the mirror in one of these cameras and the glass for the viewfinder, you are now transported into a completely different world because that little dim image, which most people just use as a reference because they can't mm -hmm. see very well through it from a hundred years of grime. <laughs> when you can see, it changes everything. And so it makes it more fun and it makes it more engaging too. So that would be my recommendation. I've got a, a, a roll of one, two, seven, actually, that um, Andrew Bartram, friend of the show, um, sent nice. over to me for my for my uh, birthday, actually. And um, over Christmas, uh, I decided that I was going to load up my I have a baby brownie, um, mm. which is made of the like Bakelite and what have you. And, and I had I'd taken it with me with, along with a bunch of other cameras. Uh, and I thought, you know what, I'll just I'll load that up over Christmas and, and shoot with that. And it'll be uh, first roll of 127 actually going into one of these cameras um, and I got it as far as literally putting the cartridge in and then realised that the wind on um, had broken and wasn't actually there <laughs> so I didn't actually realise until I went to load the film in that it was missing a part so I now need to find some other donor camera to to find a part or or you know fabricate something so that I can actually use it to wind on the film <laughs> um, but I will get there and uh, it's good to have a little list of other cameras that um, other box cameras that you would uh, you would recommend so uh, so, One yeah. last little uh, mm -hmm. maintenance recommendation that I'd make to you, Rachel, is uh, just run your, your fingertips along the rollers uh, mm -hmm. on the back of the, the camera just to make sure that they're completely flat. If they've got any little bumps or flecks of paint that have lifted off, they're uh, going to scratch your emotion, and then you're going to have yeah. to break out the nose grease. <laughs> yeah, oh, the yeah. nose grease. <laughs> There's yeah. always a place for that. <laughs> well, Thank you, Andre. Uh, interesting great. Interesting note there, too, Rachel, is that uh, the that little... Um, 127 camera that you're talking about the that's about the size of what the 35 millimeter variant would be and it's i also wanted to know are you i also yeah it's very cute isn't it it's easy to carry around i also wanted to know was that uh, repackaged or new like uh 127 or was it just uh, like new old stock from yeah uh, um, back in the day i i couldn't tell you exactly all i know is it came from a disused bicycle factory in japan <laughs> wow <laughs> There you have I it. hope there's images on there somewhere. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Yeah, um, um, uh, we'll have to we'll have to chat some more to to Andrew about that. He did actually write me a little note a little note that came with that, and I think actually that was what I was most excited about that he'd randomly found these uh, these emulsions had been made in this disused factory in Japan. I was like, wow. that's amazing. Very so cool. so yeah, so I've got three rolls of that. So I'm uh, looking forward to shooting those if I can get this camera fixed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Good luck. I mean, unfortunately, Rach, with you and your broken brownie and you, uh, Andre, just destroying box cameras, like, <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that this is just to make sure that the new box is the only one left, but, it, it, you know... I said, and you right. getting your flipping camera lamps, Graham. Well, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, that wasn't a box camera. But, I mean, this is the thing, you know, I said, I've got a handful of box cameras and the reality is that, you know, although they are all still kind of going, um, they, they are still starting to show the 
the sort of signs of the years now. Um, I've got a couple of Zeiss um, box icons, and the shutters on those are, you know, they're not quite as snappy as they should be, and they don't always reliably go back. And um, shooting a box camera is a really fun thing to do. It's a really nice, easy thing to get out with and, and have a play around with. I, I did shoot a roll through one of the Zeiss icons last year. Um, I haven't got around to developing yet, but it was only midsummer, so you know, I, I like to take my time. Um, so I'm really glad that you are going to be bringing those out. I wish you every success with the Kickstarter. Um, I know what, what a coin flip that is at the moment. And um, sure, thank you. I, 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 I hope you guys get out there because like I, I think it's it is a really fun format of camera um, that it would be great to have it back out there and easily available in the mainstream and, and as Rachel just pointed out I mean unfortunately the main fate for most of the old box cameras now increasingly is them being turned into lamps I've no seen, don't say it oh god I, I have seen so far more of them as lamps than I have seen in any thrift store lately because people are just buying them from thrift stores and turning them into lamps so I'm trying to rescue as many as I can I hope yeah. you're all doing the same yeah absolutely absolutely and always um, we're going to take a quick break now and then we'll be back with we've got some news and we'll fill you up on fill you up fill you in on what Rachel and I have been up to over the last week it's been very exciting back in just a second back um rach what have you been up to uh, now that you're finally recovering from the dreaded lurgy no that's i mean it's taken a while um finally getting there um and uh yeah i've tried to start 2018 with um a very positive outlook and uh, lots of plans for the future so i've been sorting out lots of life admin and uh, been doing lots of stripping um wood <laughs> da, stripping da, wood da, stripping da, yes yes da, i should clarify oh. um no not that one um and uh, i finally in my interview for emulsive Ooh. um it's not out yet but uh, i did send it over to em uh, so uh, hopefully at some point in 2018 that might that might arrive um how long was he waiting we for were, it hmm? how long was uh, he about waiting for it? 18 months <laughs> Ah, bad, <laughs> I know, I know, it's terrible. Um, however, as I was flush with success of uh, at, at last sending that and being able to cross it off my to-do list, thank God, um, then I managed to also write the first post for Hamish at 35MMC, who has asked us as Sunny16 Podcast to collaborate with him um, by writing some uh, regular posts just with some little news snippets and what have you um, that will be published on his blog. So uh, so that was great. So wrote the first one of that, uh, sent that off, and it's nice to see it um, up, in, up in print on the website. So, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. How about you, Graham? You've been doing lots of exciting stuff well, over the last week. I mean, it's all relative because it's relative to me <laughs> never doing anything exciting. No, um, I did have a really nice time actually this weekend, just gone. Um, the aforementioned Andrew Bart from Friend of the Show got in touch back before Christmas and said, there's an exhibition going on in Banbury, which is not very far away from me, um, of the work of Tim Rudman, who I was not familiar with. He said, um, I'm going to try and get hold of some tickets. Would you like to go? So I said, yeah course why not it's january i've got some free time um it'd be nice to meet up with andrew uh go and see some photos i uh, don't really know what they're going to be of but yeah sure why not so that is what i did this um saturday just gone um we went to see his uh um 
Iceland, Icelandic work, um, uh, which is called An Uneasy Calm. Um, great meeting up with Andrew. He's a lovely chap. You'll be completely unsurprised to hear. Um, he very kindly, so he's, he brought with him um, some photographic books of different sorts um some of which rach i will absolutely pass on to you <gasps> and Aid, if Yay. you want some um some of which we may at some point give away although books are heavy so i haven't figured that out he he brought for me also some of this 127 film i think it's something called retropan mm-hmm. um and um yeah i think it's some old resport stuff it's all packaged up so it's it's not it's, I think if it is old stuff, it's old stuff that's obviously been on a bulk reel stored somewhere and um, been packaged up and sent out again new. So I've got some of that to shove in an old box brownie, um, not box brownie, an old brownie camera, which I'm excited about. Um, he also very kindly bought me a um, rolly um, colour film developing pack, uh, you know, just a, a little one. But this is great because um, I have currently got a backlog of film not a huge backlog but by my terms a, a backlog of film which i've just not been able to develop because my color film is my color developing kit the developer is looking quite dark orange and even i have learned that maybe, maybe yeah that's not, not that's uh, not what it's supposed to look like no well <laughs> um, i mean to be fair is it as as it is it as big a backlog as Robert has when he's not he's not actually processed this film from sixty years ago? <laughs> it's it's certainly not as long lasting as that. <laughs> it's certainly not as long lasting yeah. as that. Um, but no, this is from the Fuji Hunt C forty one kit that I bought. Uh, okay, uh, yeah. I think a year and a half ago now, <laughs> so it's probably oh, past best. Um, so you know, I had no complaints about it, but I, I'm not going to use any more of it. So um, thanks to Andrew, I can now actually develop. Uh, there's a few couple of rolls of myopic me stuff on there and um, I can't remember what else but not a huge amount of stuff but I will get that done very soon so thank you very much for that he also made and brought down this lovely print as well um, this lovely darkroom print um, which is really nice because I love having people's prints so anyway yes we wandered around Banbury a bit took a few pictures it was good fun he was there with his uh, Pentax 6.7 this great big lump of a camera and I was mostly using um, my Vivitar ultra wide and slim which is not a big heavy lump of a camera (laughs) (laughs) it's um, as Aid keeps referring to it like a packet of cigarettes anyway the exhibition so the great thing about going to the exhibition on this day was that the photographer tim rudman was there um wasn't familiar with his work at all he's a landscape photographer um and a master printer and i don't use those words lightly he is a master printer and he has actually won um ilford's master printer of the year award so that's about wow. as bona fide as it needs to be um here landscape photography is not particularly my thing. I, I like it and I can appreciate it, but it's not something that really speaks to me. Um, so I, 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 I wasn't, you know, really didn't really expect that much. Oh, I'd be nice to go and see some nice pictures. Um, Tim Rudman's work is, ah, it's kind of amazing. It's, it's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? I was just looking at his um, website, which if no, if you've not actually seen it yet, it's um, Iceland-aneasycalm.com. And um, there's actually a little bit of uh, writing uh, by Tim Rudman. Shall I just read that out? Graham? Yeah, absolutely, Rach. Go for it. <clears throat> it says, Iceland, the land of fire and ice, has a strong and omnipresent Middle-earth feel to it. Evidence of its volcanic origin is everywhere. Geezer spurt, mud pools boil and steam billows from the ground you can really get that sense can't you from looking at his work i think um, yeah <clears throat> yeah sorry carry on reach with a more to read or is that it okay um yeah it was just saying that the central highlands are unpopulated and barren glistening glacial caps crown the mountains and extend long white fingers down to light sucking lava deserts whilst bible black beaches lie fringed with white surf 
Thundering waterfalls abound, whilst craggy caves and peaks, often shrouded in mist and low cloud, provide a home to some of Iceland's trolls and hidden people. In summer, the days extend through the nights. In winter, the nights eat up the days. Changes in the weather are frequent and storms can be spectacular. Brooding skies accentuate the already dramatic and sometimes eerie landscape, where trolls lurk at night and get turned to stone by daylight. It is a land of myth and magic, of fearsome subterranean power and spectacular scenery. I think that sounds absolutely wonderful, doesn't it? It does. And I think I'm heading to Reykjavik right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the thing is, and, and everybody should look at his website and look at this work, is that the thing that really spoke to me about these photographs is they aren't so much pictures of what Iceland looks like. They are pictures of what Iceland feels like. Um, yeah, that's definitely how it seems, doesn't it? From from just hearing that, having not really seen them in person, you know, you already get a sense of this is a feeling, isn't it, about a space? It is. And, and the way that he creates his images, um, they're incredibly emotive and graphic. And, and obviously, like I said, he's a master printer. So what he's doing with these um, prints is incredible. I mean, he's got... He had a video up there showing how he works on one print and i'm like yep this may as well be magic to me given my understanding of printing. <laughs> it was incredible but yeah so really wonderful work um and i got to briefly um talk to tim whilst i was there uh, which i spent most of the time just going your work is incredible um it's you know because it, it's it's such a nice feeling to come across someone's work and just be actually genuinely moved by it and and walk away from it thinking about how you're going to look at things in your own photo photographic life going forward differently. Um, and he also gave a sort of interview talk, um, which we got to go and listen to as well, which was fantastic. So, yeah, all in all, it was a um, great day. Great meeting Andrew. Fantastic getting to see the work of Tim Rudman. And I am tentatively hoping we might be able to get him on for a chat at some point. Not for sure, but um, I'm kind of hoping because Andrew Bartram has got a big mouth. I'm just pulling that right out there now. <laughs> Before we'd even got into the exhibition, he had grabbed the guy from the museum who was organising it. But oh, um, this chap here with me has got a podcast. Can he have some time with Tim Rudman? Like, no, Andrew, no. <laughs> just shush. So um, I didn't. Make he was it doing, being our PR person, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. Um, and. I I, and I, I didn't mention it at all to Tim Robin whilst we were there. Um, but even after we had left, Andrew then sent another email <laughs> to Tim Robin saying, it was lovely meeting you. Andrew had lots of very technical questions because Andrew is very much into printing himself and he had lots of questions which mm. I also did not understand completely. Um, but he mentioned to Tim that uh, we did a podcast and um, Tim Rubman very kindly listened to our podcast. He listened to the most recent one, which was the Sunnies episode, which I have mixed feelings about that being his first exposure to it. But he did send a message saying he hopes you feel better, Rachel. So, Well, um, thank you very much. I think that's probably what's helped tip me over the edge to make me better. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Tim. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, I don't get a lot of chance to do uh, interesting photographic things, but that was a really wonderful day. Um, so thank you so much, Andrew, for getting all that organised. And, uh, yeah, watch this space with that. OK, so that's what we've been up to. There has been some news in this last week. Um, mm -hmm. And you know what? It's all kind of, well, not all kind of, but the first two things are both Kickstarter relevant. So, um, Rob and Andre... <laughs> I will be very interested to hear your feelings on these. <laughs> Let's start with the downer. Um, it's not completely surprising, um, but, you know, not the best way to kick off 2018. Um, new 55 film, the Peel Apart large format film, has stopped production. This was a Kickstarter um, 
back in oh god I'm not sure 2014 2014 they kickstarted the black and white more recently, last year, they tried to kickstart for colour development. Um, I've never shot with any of this stuff myself, um, but, you know, I know that people have. Um, but it's obviously they, it's just not been they've not been able to turn it into a successful ongoing business. Um, and they are at this point closing the door on it which unfortunately is another nail in the coffin of peel-apart instant film. Mm. Um, Andre, have you had any experience at all of uh, New 55 stuff? Is large format something you've delved in too much? I am actually going to be taking a large format uh, photography and darkroom printing course next semester, so that'll be my first exposure to it. But I have been following along with New 55 for a while. I was never a backer, uh, but I am... uh, I have been in, in recent talks with uh, Nico uh, from Nico's Photography Show on YouTube, who's you know been a huge supporter of them for several years now. And we did talk about it recently when uh, I met up with him here in, in Miami over the holidays and recorded an interview with him. And we both are very sad about the you know the decline of anything film photography related. Um, but I think that it's it's just one more kind of important, uh, albeit you know sad and and, and painful lesson that. Uh, whenever you're dealing with uh, with something in this, you know, not uh, always easy to work in industry that is still trying its its best to to make a revival. That the more self sufficient you can be, the the better. I believe the the main problem towards the end of New Fifty Five um, was that the company that would produce the the pods uh, for the the developing chemicals uh, actually you know stopped their production, and so. Yeah. If the producers of the pods weren't going to be making the pods anymore, that's when when Bob Crowley from New 55 said, you know, if we can't, you know, have access to the the main thing that makes the 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 film what it is, then that's when we have to to close our doors. And I mean, I, I, I don't want to, to, you know, be pointing the finger at New 55 and saying, like, this is how we're doing it better. That's not my intention at all. But that that's as much self-sufficiency as possible, as much you can do in-house as possible when you're making something new in this industry is hugely important. And I'm sad to see it go, but it is, uh, you know, providing the, the rest of the people that are trying to do something new in this area with a, yeah. a very valuable lesson. And I do hope that New 55 comes back one day. I realised actually that um, there's been a correction at the bottom of the Petapixel <laughs> article um, just saying that actually the company has started selling in 2010, which I hadn't realised either. So yeah. um, that's, I mean, that's seven years. They'd, you know, they've been busy working and invent- innovating and, and and trying to engineer new products and things. So, you know, as you, as you say, Andre, you know, I think there's lessons to be learned there, but equally there's potentially positive lessons to be learned. You know, maybe they've got some way with with some of the chemical manufacturing that can be picked up in some other way later down the line and and started again maybe so you know um that's obviously the story for now but uh but yeah i mean who who knows what the future may hold who'd have thought 100 years ago you know box cameras and uh, and now we've got a new one coming to market <laughs> yeah, sure. so i mean i think it can't be underestimated what a challenging um, problem they set out to solve with New Fifty Five, mm-hmm. as we saw with Impossible Project, with you know their work trying to bring back um, Polaroid. Um, the, you know these chemical based sort of problems that they're trying to solve are really really hard, um, and you know and, and I know that 
it's not as if New 55 was able able to get to a solid footing. You know, I mean, I, I never got to shoot it, but I know that it was expensive because it was really hard to make, and it was also not terribly stable. Um, you, you certainly hear plenty of people who would spend quite a lot of money on packs of film only to find that, you know, Half of it just didn't, you know, like, as in literally half of an image just wouldn't be there because the pod hadn't spread. Because, like I said, it was a really hard thing to do. And without being able to get to that point of stability, it makes it much harder to build the audience because, you know, not many people have got the money to gamble on stuff like that. And if you can't get mm. enough money to get big enough, then you can't take control of the supply side. Mm. And then, uh, as Andre said, you're completely. Uh, at risk of that one key supplier shutting down and and that's the end of that so um yeah pour one out for new 55 uh it, it is well it's a shame to see any of these endeavors go down and yeah. um yeah i mean you know I, I hope that maybe something can come of it one day but it will be a brave person that picks up the torch of developing peel apart instant film <laughs> and runs on with especially it. since fuji since fuji left the market and uh, you know, guys, interestingly enough, this is one of the things that I actually did follow because uh, Peel Apart Film was something I always wanted to photograph with. Mm. And I got in really with instant film uh, right after uh, Fuji decided to uh, shut down works on their, you know, their Peel Apart 4x5. Or, or, and so the uh, the thing that I think is key there that you guys have talked about is that if the infrastructure isn't there, then you're going to have a difficult time moving forward, especially on something as uh, niche as a large format. Uh, instant photography plus all of the intellectual property and hurdles they may have been able to produce a very shelf stable product uh, but they may have been prohibited by patent laws mm. or royalties in order to actually bring that to market because the the actual uh, royalty holders or patent holders may have wanted more than what was available so then you find yourself in that situation trying to jump hurdles around uh, something that uh, normally wouldn't be a barrier to your entry in the market, mm. and that becomes the biggest uh, the biggest problem. And Bellamy was talking about that actually, yeah. wasn't he? He was talking was about that, well, yeah, it, with regard to his camera and um, just how it's been all of the the sort of like legal and patent side of things that he's found has been a bit more challenging than he'd expected going into it. Um, so yeah, there's mm. there's other things that that kind of obstacles that come in get in the way that aren't actually anything to do with the product necessarily that you're trying That's to right. develop. So. The great yeah, thing about right. building a box camera is I can't imagine there's a great deal of patents that other <laughs> other people are you holding. Know what? Uh, you know what? The nice part is, yeah, I'm going to tell you, pre-1929 U.S. copyright patent laws and things like that don't often apply because most of the designs have already been entered into the public domain. Yeah. So that means that you can make something that's a box, but also you're, you, you know, you can't just patent a box. You have to patent an apparatus. And so um, that's actually, you know, something that uh, Andre and I talked about, but I spoke a lot about that with uh, Mint and even a little bit with uh, Mr. Dave Bias because, um, you know, two, two big uh, players in the field that have brought things to market, and I wanted to know about their patent process. And without saying too much, I have decided uh, to just move forward and just not worry about too many patents because so much of what I'm doing um, is actually already in the public domain in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, although I suppose in this day and age, um, there is that slight, well, I suppose it's not worry, but it, let's say that 
as we hope it will you know the kickstarter successful and this really takes off and it gets a lot of buzz how many days do you think it'll be before you see the first chinese box camera on um amazon My goodness. <laughs> you know what it'll be it'll, you know it's just like uh, with ukuleles you get a few good ukuleles and now the ukulele market hit now every chinese manufacturer is making a ukulele you can go find them for 30 bucks with a solid mm. Top, it's you know? a d- different um, market though isn't it and that's the thing it's it's you know different people who are going to be buying them that's right and so that's one thing that i think that being a um, a hardware uh, in a innovator that we're doing trying to lead in, the, in a uh, in a revolution that way and trying to just revitalize it uh, i think that's going to be the difference between you know a simulation and then an original and although we are simulating an original <laughs> we're doing it in a very unique and new way that actually requires some experience. We had to went through uh, over 100 different variations of the shutter, 40 different variations of the box, 80 different variations of the cartridge, luckily three variations of the knobs, and about 30 different variations of the front and back plate, you know, <laughs> and just, just to name a few. So there is some, um, there is some experience that has to be gained to there. Yeah. You have to earn the experience to bring it out yeah. and do it well at least. Well, let's go from one slightly um, sad ex-Kickstarter project to a far more positive Kickstarter, Ooh. just to make you guys feel better. Yeah. So, um, Sam from SolarCan. SolarCan was a Kickstarter last year, which did very well. And just before Christmas, um, I think all the backer rewards were sent out and everyone was getting their kicks, getting their um, SolarCans and setting them all up for the... Oh, God, it's the Equinox, isn't it, in winter? Mm-hmm. I always get... That's right. So... Um, Sam, uh, who is always up to something, has now um, started a new Kickstarter. So what this Kickstarter is for, it's part of the Kickstarter Make 100 campaign, which is not a thing I was familiar with before, but basically it's where they make 100 of a thing and you get to back it. And what you can back is to get one of Sam's SolarCan in, I suppose, it's um, a kind of a retail-ready package, isn't it, Rach? Yeah, that's right. So um, he's hoping to, well, he basically set this up in order to be able to fund the third and final phase of SolarCan, which is to create some nicely designed retail packaging. So um, Sam, by his own admission, you know, he's he's an engineer and he's, he's um, you know, he's, uh, he's obviously, you know, a fantastic um, photographer himself and uh, inventor, but he wanted somebody who could create the graphics and a nice sort of like packaging um as part of it as well to take it into something that was a bit more shop ready um shall we say so eight months ago they launched uh, he launched the solar cam on kickstarter and so now he has put together um this as part of the make 100 initiative and within 26 hours he got his goal of uh, 1200 so um and he's well over that now he's up he's over 2000 pounds now so uh, so well done to sam that's that's awesome news and um yeah really really pleased he seems like a lovely he's a lovely chap so uh, yeah um very very happy and it's nice to see a good positive kickstarter campaign taking off yeah and um so basically you know it's what he's looking to do is just get some neat packaging material he's written uh, a nice 16 page book with everything you need to know about solar can to go with the can itself uh, and i like i like he says you know it, this it will include sections on how to install your solar can with examples <laughs> how your solar can works how to retrieve your solar can using software to edit your solar can image example images from the community what to do with your solar can afterwards a frequently asked questions page 
maybe a joke or two. Now, I mean, I, I follow <laughs> Sam on um, Instagram. I'm not sure whether that last thing is a plus or a negative because uh, he's <laughs> But um, no, it's, it's really cool. Um, so it's going to happen because this is a, a Make 100 thing. Uh, it is limited. So as we do this on Monday evening, there are 15 left of 100. Um, by the time wow. this comes out on Thursday, there may not be 15 left because they're only 20 quid. So, um, but hopefully... What this will mean is that Sam will get the backing that he needs, the money that he needs to just helpfully get these out to be bought in shops and you know science places and museums and fun stuff like that where you kind of see these things. So um, very cool, very cool. Um, I like it. It's a, a nice okay. example of a simple, simple, well thought out Kickstarter that did exactly what it said it was going to do, literally on the can um, and delivered. And, uh, <laughs> That's why, as I was saying to you earlier, I, I I really appreciate it when people do the work before they um, to to do to do as much as they can before kickstarting it, rather than going, oh, we've got an idea, <laughs> we'd like you to give us some money to see if it's a good one or not, because um, yeah, some of those can be a little bit unfortunate. Um, well, we wanted to be as successful as possible, so we followed that model. Hopefully, like so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Rach, do you want to take this last bit of news? Yep, just the last little bit of news, which is um, nice to see. Um, there's a new director of the of PhotoWorks, and um, it's a woman taking over from a woman, would you believe? <laughs> um, which is interesting. It's a lady called um, Shuer Mavlian. Uh, uh, has been announced as the new director of PhotoWorks, and um, she's uh, currently working as the assistant curator at the Tate Modern, and is joining the organisation next month. Um, so she's replacing Celia Davis, who left in December. That's very cool. And for everybody listening, not me, obviously, I know, but for everybody else listening out there who doesn't know, um, what am PhotoWorks? Um, it's the National Development Agency for Photography. Um, PhotoWorks programme includes commissions and new writing, participation and exceptional projects, including the National uh, Jerwood PhotoWorks Awards. Um, they're also part of the Brighton Photo Biennial. Uh, it says PhotoWorks' aim is to connect outstanding artists with audiences and to champion talent and ambition. Very cool, very cool. I mean, is this an organisation you've had anything to do with, Rachel? Is it one you're familiar with personally, or just? Uh... It's one. It's one that I've heard of, um, and and as it says, obviously in its aim there, um, it seems like it's very uh, well plugged into the sort of like community side of things and championing um, new photographers. They're not somebody who I've ever done an exhibition with or anything like that myself personally, but um, maybe some of our listeners have. Oh, cool. Well, still very cool, and um, good luck in the new job. Um, yeah. We have got a couple of emails. Um, oh, incidentally, before I forget, um, the uh, New 55, thanks to Neil Piper for um, letting me know about that one because Neil's great. He's our little news hound and he hits me up with mm -hmm. a news story. So thank you very much, Neil. Do you need a gift for yourself or your film-obsessed loved one? Look no further than Shoot Film Co. You'll find a veritable cornucopia of accessories for the film-loving photographer. Embroidered patches, lapel pins, waterproof vinyl stickers, apparel, and the ever-popular photo memo notebook for film photographers. Visit Shoot Film Co. today for the finest in photographic utility and frivolity. First email is another one from J.M. Golding. Now, J.M. Golding got in touch with this last year to let us know about 127 days. So this is perfect because we were talking about 127 film earlier. Wow, on. yeah. So um, he writes, Greetings, Sunbeams. Thank you so much for telling the world about 127 Day in December. 
participants in the December event have until January the 7th, uh, which was yesterday, yesterday, <laughs> 2018, to send a 127 format photo taken on December the 7th to 127filmformat at gmail.com for the online exhibition. So hopefully everybody who's taken part in that has already done that. But if you haven't, don't worry. We have very good news because with December 127 day barely over, January 127 day is only a month away on January. January the 27th, 2018. Um, 127 in American, because you guys say dates the wrong way around, don't you? So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're completely backwards. Yeah, yeah. God, I don't know. I mean, we taught you how to do these things, and then as soon as you break away, you get it all backwards. Um, it means it's an all inclusive <laughs> campaign. Exactly, it certainly is. 127 Film Photography will be celebrating 127 Day with a special online exhibition and you and your other listeners are, as always, invited to participate. Um, and as he was saying with the other one, just send one 127 format photograph taken on January the 27th, 2018 to the aforementioned 127 film format at gmail.com by February the 27th, 2018. The planned publication date for the online exhibition is March the 3rd, 2018 uh, all the specifics will be given in the show notes um, I really enjoyed your interviews with Isabel Curtis Killian and Thomas Dukes and the info about Silbera film which I was inspired to back and the reflex camera happy new year and keep up the great work best jm golding and um, thank you very much for getting back in touch about that uh, now i well we both have some 127 film to shoot so i am going to make a note in my diary shoot some 127 film that's very exciting um <laughs> and um, on the 27th of january on the 20th and i hope um that you were inspired uh, mr Gold. we don't know um what the j or the m stands for um but mr goldings are uh, we hope that you have been inspired by um our conversation today about uh, the new box camera as well so um, I'm looking to that one. Rach, do you want to take this next one? Yes, yeah, so this uh, this next email comes from a lovely lady called Hilary Clark, who um, we've uh, given a shout out to before, I think. Um, actually, she recently emailed me about potentially us doing a workshop and her maybe bringing along some friends. So, yay, let's hope that happens. Um, Hilary says, hello, Sunbeams. Just a quick email to say, A, uh, really enjoyed your podcast in 2017. Keep up the great work. You keep me company on a weekly drive over the Pennines, which makes the time fly. It is quite a long journey across the Pennines, so glad to hear that, Hilary. Um, B, Happy New Year, and here's to a film-filled... Oh, gosh, it's difficult to say that fast. Film-filled 2018. And C, insert drum roll and ta-da, here. Okay. <laughs> Have you got the noises? Ta-da! <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's a good idea, right? <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Um Please could you give a shout out to Winter Roll Film Week. The inaugural event was July last year. That makes sense. Winter Roll Film Week is in July. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. I think um, the Summer I, Roll Film Week is my guess. I'm That shrewd. makes more sense. Okay. Um, the inaugural event was July last year and it was so much fun. We couldn't wait until the summer to do it all over again. So it runs on Flickr and Instagram in pretty much the same way as Polaroid Week basically upload two shots per day which were taken using any roll of uh, sorry any sort of roll film it's running from the 22nd of january to the 26th of january so now's the time to get shooting and scanning in preparation and you can use the hashtag hashtag roll film week and or add to the Flickr group if you'd like to join in um she says you can also follow at roll film week on instagram 
And there is a Flickr group, which we will, again, pop in the show notes. Um, she says, even though the URL says 2017, it's going to be used for all future weeks to save having to join a new group each time. And thanks, guys. So there we go. Thanks very much, Hilary. It's lovely to hear from you. Uh, yeah, and, uh, well, Roll Film, obviously, we're all big fans of that here. Um <laughs> uh, one, one thing I did want to ask you about, because you guys live over in, well, a generally sunnier part of the world than we do. When you were putting together the box camera and figuring out things like the aperture and the shutter speed, did you have to actively think, oh, actually, there might be places people want to use this where they don't actually have things like the sun um, and take, take that into account? Um, take pity on us, you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, or, or, or because you know, there's, a, there's a decent range of apertures fortunately but the fact that it goes up to f is it f32 it goes up to f22 and we'll have a pinhole aperture as well for coming out later oh awesome which is pretty cool that's very cool Uh, well there's a couple of funny things there's there's two things to share with you about that Uh, number one uh early on when designing i was speaking with george my uncle um architect and uh of course he's designed corporate logo types and all that other stuff in the past but he specializes in uh Many like North Carolina, coastal North Carolina, eastern North Carolina uh, design, home design, which is really cool, very niche. Anyways, I say, Uncle George, I've never used CAD software before. What do you suggest? And he goes through all the stuff, and I've got to learn it. And he says, um, make sure you just set it to Imperial. I said, wow, I've got to deal with the photo. i got to deal with millimeters. I said, don't worry, it's just weird American you should design an imperial. I said, okay. So I did. So I'm I'm making this thing, and I've I've got three inches and 78 59ths or whatever, all this other stuff. And then it comes time to work with the lenses and actually start prototyping, and it is a nightmare, <laughs> complete nightmare. And I'm like, I but I didn't know enough at the time to save my work uh, in a in in different the different format so that I could like it, it was it was all it was a thousand different pieces and lines instead of groups. So I had to go back and redo the whole thing metric in the first place and it would have been so much easier in the first time and that's that's what i want to share with you from earlier when you were talking about uh, you taught us right you did you did we, sh- we should be using metric and andre andre laughed at me being from brazil <laughs> he laughed he chuckled very very dispassionately about it and we laughed but on the same note of um coincidences talking with gary about how the mint camera is working in neutral density filters and things that work well with it um, it did make me realize, he says, man, I just, I'm visiting Canada right now. I'm visiting this place right now. And I think you guys are so sunny over here. We just don't have sun. And so it was exactly like you're talking about. We are, I had no idea myself personally that Virginia beach was so sunny. It has very ideal conditions for photography. And I don't photograph with, with any kind of instant photography uh, on a night, on a day that doesn't give me an EV of about 15 to 18 with bright sunny. It just doesn't, it's just, <laughs> it's a bit pro tip. However, such a rarity for us. <laughs> well, true, maybe true. I, I believe you there. However, I think that's where designing a camera that even at f16, the aperture of f16 is going to give you a uh, a close limit of six feet with a hyperfocal distance all the way out um, to 11 feet, and then uh, you can you so basically even at f16 uh, we can open it up and you can shoot six feet and on. At f11 we're getting uh, a little bit out of the hyperfocal zone, which means that our near and far limit focus have about 20 feet between the far limit focus and the hyperfocal zone. So you're beginning to get a little bit 
of bokeh. But that is great with a, even with the one two hundredth of a second shutter, with a, even with an ISO 100 or 200 speed film or whatever you might like to use. It still gives you the ability to have a point-and-shoot aesthetic to make it easy. But then for the savvy photographer moving to f8 or f5.6, we can, we can get into some real setup shots, more portrait type of work, uh, you know, because then we've got our, our, our hyperfocal starting between 50 feet and on and our near limit and far limit focus being, you know, between six and eight feet, which means that as long as we can get that nailed, we can do portraits that just obliterate the background on six by nine film. So there is something for everybody. And had it not been for those kinds of conversations, you're right. I don't think we would have had the perspective to recognize that not only do we need the wider apertures in order to provide depth of field, but we need to uh, design these wider apertures in the camera so that it will work in environments that don't have this sunny, more or less sunny condition year round. So yeah, there you go. Cool. I'm Plus glad also, you for you guys over the pond. Ilford HP5 pushes the 1600 looks beautiful. So yeah, just putting that out there. <laughs> That's very true. That's just shove Ilford HP5 in there and go. Well, this will this will <laughs> figure it out somehow. Um, Film no. of the year from the sunnies. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, well, I think that's going to do it for this week. But the most important thing we need to do before we get out of here is let people know exactly where they can find you. So, Rob, where can people get hold of you and your work and where should people be going to look at the box camera? Head over to hamcamera.com for everything that's happening. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so that you can get updated. We're trying to run that newsletter strong so people can be aware of when the Kickstarter kicks off and all of our achievements that we match going through. Find me over at The Box Is Back uh, at any social network, mainly on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And uh, Andre can be found just as easily through any email to Ham Camera. Uh, if it goes to Rob at HamCamera.com, Andre is going to get the email anyway. <laughs> so that's just <laughs> the way it is. And for those that wish to make a, uh, a phone call, call me at 757-563-3424 if you want to talk to me directly or just find me on Skype. It's real simple. That's the way most people do I get, like, like I said, lots of calls, people chit-chat, and uh, want to know about the camera. And right now, we're at a point where I want to make them known, so I want to invite this conversation. I think you're insane, but um, that's you crack <laughs> on. And um, what, what's your YouTube channel as well? Okay, so Robert Ham Photography is my a website for my, uh, you know, like my professional work.com, obviously, Ham with two Ms, but uh, YouTube.com slash Robert Ham. We've got around 2,100 going on, 2,200 subscribers, <laughs> and over 300 videos right now. I think we're right at 300 videos. And it's, it ranges in everything from uh, film photography, even on uh, like what to expect on a, a shoot from photo booths to weddings, but mainly just uh, film uh, digital photography, mostly. Yeah. And Instax. Yeah, lots, about 50 videos, maybe 60 on the TL70. If, you've got, if you're out there and you're listening and you've got a TL70 and you're having trouble with it, uh, Mint Camera has named me their TL70 expert. I do their tech talk with Mint uh, the second and fourth Thursday of each month. You can find it on Mint's camera's Facebook page, and we interview guests all the time. But mainly I answer user questions, so much so that people Skype me to ask me how to use it. I love it. We chit-chat all the time. So I'm always talking about either the new box or the TL70, <laughs> just how it is. Awesome. And Andre, where can people find you and see all the cool pictures that you're taking out there with the so many different cameras that you seem to be using? Uh, yeah, thank you, Graham, so much. Uh, you can find me on my website, which is called timelessstreets.com. I'm a little slow to, to post on there, but 
Uh, I do every once in a while, you know, write up a, a blog post. And my Instagram is a Dominguez 64. Uh, as Graham said, whatever I'm shooting, you know, a bunch of crazy cameras, I usually post a couple of the pictures on there. Yeah, and you did a really cool project, um, I'm guessing this was last year now, when you were um, shooting a wide variety of different disposable cameras, and um, I was looking at the pictures from those earlier, and that was really cool, cool to see all those up there. So, mm-hmm. um, and awesome. Hopefully 2018 will be uh, the first year that I can actually put a zine together with those pictures, so many, many things happening this year. Awesome. Well, that's very cool. And as I said right at the beginning, um, you know, it's been great having you. But having young people on who have got their heads screwed on, who are already doing <laughs> doing important things, always makes me slightly angry. So, um, you know, just <sighs> I'll, I'll try to be. He's very accomplished already, isn't he? I know yeah. it's sickening. It really, really gets my go. I mean, I, I was a hopeless mess at his age, so I, I resent it when people are organised. I don't know if he told he was a, a general counsel for his. Uh, UNC program that he's got going on. He helps he helps students that all kinds of different. You want to tell him about that? He just he's got his hands in everything. It's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it just at the photography for for today. Focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> That's sure. very true. We'll have to get you back on again in the future, Andre, to talk about all the other crazy stuff you're up to. Um, we'll do, Graham. One last thing before I bail on here, which Rachel is frantically typing into the show notes, even as I speak. The photography show is coming up at the NEC in Birmingham. Um, it is in March, and we are going to be there for at least one day. I mean, when I say we're going to be there, I feel I should make this perfectly clear. We're visiting. We don't have a booth or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, obviously. Um, but we are all planning to be there. Um, the day we are all aiming for, or no, the day we will all be there is Sunday the 18th of March, and we would love to meet you guys there if you are going um tickets to this thing are not terribly expensive um the nec is fairly central it would be great to just get together with a load of certainly 16 podcast listeners and um you know, frankly there's very little film stuff there to be interested in so we might as well be interested in our own selves and what we're doing that sounds way <laughs> more fun um <laughs> We will have more details as we make them up going forwards, but that's the key thing you need to know. If you're thinking about going Sunday the 18th, we will be there. Rachel's going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm pretty sure Aid's going to be there as well. Um, and we will do something. Bimble round, drink tea is my favourite. Cup of tea. Cup there of tea. we go. Cup of see tea. You, Take some pictures. And it would be <laughs> lovely to see you guys there. Um, and that will do us for this week. We would like to say thank you, as always, to Chris at Pixelated Photographer. Um, I mentioned last week how he is tentatively getting back into uh, photography with a few minor setbacks. He bought um, an RB67 and the lens he bought that came with it uh, wouldn't focus past, I think, about ten, seven feet. But that's fine. He sent it back and got a replacement. Oh, she's working fine. He shot his first roll of film and went to develop it at home. Pulled the fixer in first, but that's <gasps> fine. <laughs> he managed to catch it quick enough. And he did? I, I have seen pictures with images on, so even after pouring the fixer in before the developer, he's still... It's been a while since Chris has done any darkroom work. Well done, um, Chris. I'm amazed. That's a good catch, getting that out quick enough that it hasn't ruined it that's amazing yeah. so um so it, it's progressing uh, like I said, I, i'm really hoping that chris will do something with this chris um had uh, a podcast it's still up on itunes um the pixelated photographer podcast um if, if you're looking for something to listen to i did a guest on his show a couple of times if you ever want to see um or listen to rather somebody whose language is far far worse than hamish or or um <laughs> bellamy or, or even emza listen to the podcast where i guested on the pixelated 
exclusive talk for because um, I, I was a bad, <laughs> bad person. Um, and I also had things to say about the Lomo constructor at the time, turns uh, out. Um, we, you went to town on the naughty words. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I, I wasn't editing it then, so it wasn't my problem. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Sunny16Podcast, Twitter at Sunny16Podcast, Facebook, you're never going to believe this, we're at Sunny16Podcast there. And of course, you can email us, Sunny16Podcast at gmail.com. Um, Rach, do you want to take away the music dedication this week? Yeah, so um, music, as uh, is usually the case, is by Roja, our, our um, modern mariachi rock band. Um, actually, we lost um, Joan this week, who's size mum, and um, so I'd like to dedicate the show to her uh, this week. She's been absolutely amazing across the years that we've known her, um, always offering us uh, pizza and uh, space to rehearse, and um, lots of um, times she's been at the shows where she's been literally hounding people to buy our CDs and things over the years. So uh, uh, she was definitely what you would call a character and uh, we love her lots and we miss her. So uh, that's the dedication for this week. Thank you very much, Joan. Awesome. Thanks, Rach. And uh, yeah, I'm very sorry to hear that. Okay, guys, that's us done for this week. We will be back next week with another show uh, and we've got another guest next week, but I won't tell you who yet, but um, somebody else call next week. So until then, it's goodbye from all of us here. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs>